Well, we've got several scriptures to read this morning, and so it's going to be kind of tricky going from one page to another here. But we're going to start with Isaiah 29.13. If you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Next, we're in Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who touches, or I'm sorry, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Now we go to Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the word of the Lord. I don't remember if, know if you remember what Julie said right up front this morning, but she gave kind of an, well, she preached part of my sermon. So I'm going to cut that part out and skip to the part, no. Let's look at it as kind of an, Nice introduction to where we're headed with this today. Um, Have you ever tried to do something with someone who didn't have their heart in it? Or maybe you're the one that didn't have your heart in it. For me, that something would be shopping. It's way down my list of favorite things to do unless I'm at Cabela's. So on the occasions I go shopping with Julie, my attitude is this. Let's get what we need and get out of here. I don't want to take time to look at stuff. Um, I don't want to go there and peruse stuff we're not there for. I just want to buy what we need and get on with my day. And maybe you know that feeling. Uh, you've been there. Maybe you were, you were present in body, but your heart was not in it. You know what I'm talking about? So have you ever felt that way in church? You're present for worship service, but your heart isn't in it. I've been there. I struggle with that at times. You know, uh, People come up to me in the morning and there's something they need to talk about or maybe I'm thinking about what's coming next or how I'm going to say something in particular and Julie's up here leading the music and my mind isn't engaged. Well, I've obviously been there and we probably all have at times. No matter how gifted the worship leader or engaging the preacher, sometimes our hearts drift to somewhere else. And there are so many concerns in our lives, I understand that, some silly, 
some very important. Those things that can distract our hearts from being engaged with God. Sometimes we are present, but still not really there. You know what I mean? One of my personal pet peeves, and maybe you shared, is trying to have a conversation with someone who can't seem to look up from their phone. You know, they might be grunting a response to kind of oblige your presence, but they certainly aren't engaged. Do you like to be around someone who is present, but their heart is not in it? They're not really there? I have this problem at times. Uh, Julie will come up to me and say, hey, we're, we're, we plan to do this. And I'll say, you never told me about that. And she says, yes, I did. And I say, what was I doing when you told me that? You know, especially, uh, I like, one of the reasons I like fall is because college football starts then. And I say, was I watching football when you told me that? So I can, you know, I can say, uh huh. Like I'm hearing, but I'm not really. And um, when that happens, and Julie, you kind of expressed it this morning, you know, when people are in, otherwise engaged and are kind of looking around, and you know they're not really connecting with you, they're not really hearing you, um, it makes you feel ignored or unappreciated or disrespected. No one wants to be around someone who's going to treat them like that. So let's pause right here. Hold on to that thought. Let me ask you a question about God. Do you think God enjoys spending time with us when we have that kind of distracted mindset? We're present, but we're not really there. God knows when we come to Him with that feeling that, well, I showed up, but I'm not really there. When our hearts are wandering and drifting and, well, He actually reveals in the Bible that He doesn't like that. That's where this passage from Isaiah speaks to us. These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It's a pretty incriminating commentary, isn't it? What Isaiah wrote there. See, God doesn't want us to just go through the motions or to offer up worship that's disconnected and passionless. God wants our hearts He wants our hearts to be in this with Him. We know this must be really a really important truth because during Jesus' earthly ministry, He repeated this same passage from Isaiah in Matthew 15.8 where He said, These people honor Me with their lips, but their hearts are far from Me. Jesus knew that their hearts were not in it. He knew what others were thinking. Luke records the fact that Jesus knew their thoughts. 
No doubt Jesus peers deep into our souls, our souls and as well, and knows what is really going on inside of each one of us. And as we heard from Romans 8.27 where Paul wrote that the Spirit of God searches our hearts, we know that God knows what's going on inside here. He knows if our heart is in it or not. So with all this in mind, what should we do when we begin to beware to notice that our hearts are losing intensity and wandering off? Well, the Bible tells us that one of the key things to, to bringing our hearts, drawing our hearts back to God is prayer. Our knees, in a sense, engage our hearts to connect with the heart of God. If, if you realize, if you find out that your heart is not in it, then it's time for some, shall we call it, knee action. Humbling ourselves before God in prayer. In that sense, our knees are connected to our hearts. And that's why God wants us to pray, because He wants to be closely connected with our hearts. He wants to become our focus so that we can follow Him with our whole heart. He does not just want us to be present. He doesn't just want us to go through the motions. God wants us to put our heart into our relationship with Him. And as we engage in sincere prayer, we will find that our hearts then become connected with God. Connecting our hearts to God's heart begins with the transformation of our hearts. That's the way prayer works. See, prayer in essence is heart work. Think about, for a minute, think about Pentecost. See, what I just talked about is why Jesus told His disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they had received the gift of the Spirit. Before they were able to jump into the good work that God had planned for them, their hearts had to be connected to His and transformed in that sacred place where He had called them together and wait on Him. Their hearts had to be in it if they were ever going to engage and accomplish the transformative kingdom work that God was preparing them for. The Holy Spirit descended on that group as they were gathered in the upper room in Jerusalem. And the power of the church was born that day in a prayer gathering. And if we want the Holy Spirit to come in His transforming power, we need to gather in prayer, to gather together in prayer and ask for His presence to fill us as well. See, once the disciples humbled themselves through the knee action of prayer, they connected with the heart of God and experienced this amazing transformation. This power of the Spirit transformed the disciples' hearts and empowered their speech. When the Holy Spirit filled the disciples at Pentecost, two things radically changed in that moment. And the first was this. 
they were transformed from fearful, hiding disciples to bold, speaking disciples. See, after Jesus was crucified and buried, the disciples were afraid and secretly hid out in this secure location. John 20.19 records, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with doors locked for fear of the Jews. I don't think we maybe understand the anxiety the disciples felt in those days following the crucifixion. The religious leaders that they had been taught all their lives to look up to, and that some of them were even related to, just hunted down and murdered their best friend and spiritual leader. Their entire vision for what their future and the future of the nation would look like was wrapped up in who they thought Jesus would be as a deliverer and conqueror. Yet they watched the same old powers of the religious elite and the Roman government destroy everything that they had hoped for. So the disciples were afraid. They were hiding in fear that they would be the next targets for political assassination. They were afraid. Convinced that the years of their lives, that years of their lives had been wasted and that there was no possible future for them. Yet somehow, beyond their wildest understanding, Jesus had been raised from the dead and promised that He wasn't through with them. That scared them too. (laughs) In order to move forward, they would have to face all those fears and trust in a leader who wasn't physically present with them anymore. They were deeply afraid. Yet on the day of Pentecost, after 120 disciples had spent 10 days waiting in prayer for for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, the powerful presence of God burst into that room. The disciples emerged from the upper room with great boldness, proclaiming the mighty acts of God to the very people that they once feared. What happened? What changed them from fearful hiding disciples to bold speaking disciples? It was the transformation of their hearts by the Holy Spirit. That morning, the disciples flooded out of the upper room and spoke the glories of God boldly in languages they had never learned. This was the beginning of the movement of God across the world as he mobilized his church to achieve his mission. It was a miracle of communication. But there was another miracle that was not as visible as the gift of languages and the boldness of speech. That second transformational work was a purification of their hearts. Their hearts were purified from the sin of self-centeredness. See, prior to this miracle, Jesus' disciples were often caught in power-hungry arguments with one another about who was the greatest and bestest and 
Jesus had rebuked them a number of times for their argumentative hearts. In Matthew 20, verses 25-28, through 28, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, prior to Pentecost, the disciples' hearts were carnal, self-centered, self-seeking, and self-promoting. However, when the Spirit of God fell on them and filled them on the day of Pentecost, a radical heart transformation occurred. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and as a result of that baptism, God purified their hearts from that corrupting ambition and cleansed their hearts from the disease of self-centeredness. What an incredibly powerful and hope-filled truth. God has the power to free our hearts from being self-centered, self-seeking, and self-promoting to God-centered and others focused. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. Now let's forward from the day of Pentecost to Acts chapter 15. Here's what's happening there. We find Peter reflecting back on the day of Pentecost. He was reporting to the council of elders in Jerusalem about how this same experience the Jews had on the day of Pentecost was also being experienced by the Gentiles. They were being filled with the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, the Spirit was only given to Jewish believers, those in the family line of Abraham. God had promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 7, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The Jews expected God to come to them but not to the Gentiles. Gentiles were outside the promise. But the Jews often neglected the rest of God's promise to Abraham found in Genesis 22:18. Through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. <laughs> we got folded in way back then. Something new was happening. The rest of that promise, God's promise to Abraham was coming true. Peter was seeing the same spirit that changed his heart was now being given to both Jews and Gentiles. The Jewish community saw this as scandalous. Yet it was the fulfillment of what Jesus told them would happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth where all those Gentiles are. What Jesus said was now coming true. So the elders of the church at Jerusalem called Peter to give an account of this new phenomena. 
As Peter was speaking to them, he reflected back on the day of Pentecost. He no doubt remembered all that happened that day. The mighty wind, the fire that fell on their heads, the bold and powerful languages that were spoken. But none of those things are mentioned in his reflection in Acts chapter 15. Peter reflected back on one reality of this baptism with the Holy Spirit, which proved to be of lasting effect. And so we read about that in Acts 15, verses 8 and 9. Peter said, God who knows the heart showed that He accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as He did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. That's the thing that Peter remembered about Pentecost and shared with the council at Jerusalem. Peter didn't focus on the signs and wonders and gifts that had happened that day, as wonderful as they were. But rather what he emphasized was the purification of their hearts. Heart transformation was the most memorable and lasting effect of Pentecost. And nothing has changed. Today we need that same heart cleansing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To fully surrender our hearts to connect with God. To fully embrace the calling and purpose that God has placed on our lives, to fully see the needs around us and where we are called to serve. And to do that, we need an outpouring in our own hearts of the Holy Spirit. We need the cleansing of our self-centered, self-seeking, self-promoting hearts so that we can connect with God's heart and fulfill the mission He's given us right here where we live. And I want to give you a word of caution because we have to safeguard this gift that God has given us. Even after this cleansing experience, that triple threat of self-centeredness, self-seeking, and self-promotion can subtly creep back into our hearts if we lose our focus. That's why we need prayer emphasis. That's why the Church of the Nazarene has called us these past months to this prayer focus. That's why we're praying these 40 days up to Pentecost. We need this prayer emphasis. We know our hearts can wander away from the heart of God and our passion can fade. We can easily lose focus. There's a lot to distract us and it's not by accident. That's why we need to get back on our knees and ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We need an awakening. And we've been praying for that. Our denomination is praying for that. We pray for that when we gather together for prayer on Thursday evenings. We've been praying for that for a long time now. How differently might the world look tomorrow if today... A half million Nazarenes in the United States and Canada connected fully to the heart of God and were cleansed from their self-centered, self-seeking, and self-promoting 
inclinations. How many more people would see the love of Jesus in action? How many more people would experience the heart of God for themselves? And so I, need, I think we need to ask ourselves, I ask myself this, do I need a fresh infilling of the purifying power of the Holy Spirit? And I want us to spend some time praying now. And Becky, I saw you kneeling at your pew this morning. I remember we, when we did that as a matter of course in our church services. We just turned around and knelt in our pew. And so I, w- I want to call us to prayer this morning. I want those who would like to, to come to the altar. I would encourage others, if you can. I know we can't all, but if you want to kneel there where you at, are at in your pew, I would call you to do that. But let's gather together at the altar or where you are for a time of prayer this morning. Folks, we want, we, we're praying for revival in our nation. We're praying for revival in our church. But revival begins with us as individuals, doesn't it? It's got to happen in our hearts first. So let's kneel now at the altar in our pew. If you need to stand, if you need to sit, that's okay. But let's take time. And we've been encouraged by our denomination to pray for protection, direction, and revelation. And we want to be sure we do that this morning in this time of prayer together. Oh God, our Father, Almighty God, You who created the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. You who breathe the stars out of Your mouth and call them all by name. You who are sovereign over the affairs of man and all history. You who know our hearts. You know when we're present or not. You know if we're in it with you or not. You know when our focus is distracted and our minds and hearts are somewhere else, even though our bodies may be in this place. Lord God, and we, we know that you know those things. And we live in a world where there is much that would distract us and an enemy of our souls who would seek to keep us distracted. Oh God, but we pray today that you would restore our focus, our passion, our commitment. Renew us. We pray today for a fresh infilling of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, that would cleanse us of that self-centered, self-promoting attitude that may have taken over in our hearts and minds. We pray for your forgiveness, Father. We recognize that that is sin. We confess that to you. 
Oh, create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation. And make us a people as you do that with, by purifying our hearts who are bold and courageous as the disciples of old were when the Holy Spirit came to them on Pentecost. Those who had, were hiding and afraid began to speak boldly. The goodness and the acts of God and the truth of Jesus Christ would come to lay down His life and shed His blood so that we could know forgiveness of sins, but beyond that, defeated the grave and Satan and hell itself when He rose from the dead. To bring us life that is truly life. And Father, there are so many in our world today who need to know that good news. They're discouraged, they're broken, they're hurting, they're hopeless, there is no purpose and meaning in their lives. Everything they've tried has left them empty. And we have that within us to share with them. There is purpose. There is meaning. There is life to be lived. And it's not what you may have thought it was. It's all found in Jesus. Lord God, we pray today for us as individuals, for this church body and for our denomination, the Church of the Nazarene. Oh God, protect us. Protect us from the onslaughts, the schemes, the designs of the evil one. The Word tells us that if we resist Satan, he must flee from us. Lord God, help us to be resistors. Help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves in this day when, Lord God, our, our attentions and we're pulled in so many directions and when we hear so much that is not of God but is of human philosophy and comes from the powers of darkness that work in high places. It's the vain philosophy of this world. Oh, but help us to be people of the truth, your truth, God's truth, to love your word, to believe your word, to live your word, to share your word. Lord God, we pray for direction for our denomination. We pray for direction for the Longmont Church of the Nazarene. Direction that leads us into the future that you have for us. A fulfillment of the mission you've given us, an understanding of the blueprint that you have for us because it's different than the church down the street. It's different than the Nazarene church in the next town. It's for us. So give us that kind of direction that we need, Lord. Help us to, as we seek your face, to see it clearly and then be obedient to that. And we pray, Father, for the revelation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So that's where the direction comes from as you reveal that to us. Lord God, a fresh revelation. Maybe a revelation of a renewal of that which you've already told us and we've kind of forgotten and strayed away from. But we pray for the revelation of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives, in our church, in our denomination, in our nation. God, these are uncertain times. Things are changing so rapidly, some for the good, but so many when it comes to morally, ethically, and spiritually, it just seems we're heading in the wrong direction. Oh, we need so desperately to be agents of godly change right here where we live. And we'll never do that in our own strength or wisdom. But only God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, with the resources that you give us, So, Father, we commit today to be people of prayer, to seek Your face. Lord, do a work in us. Do a work in us. Each one of us individually, so that combined as a corporate body, we'll be a powerful force for Jesus Christ. Lord, we'll be a church that if we were to disappear tomorrow would be missed by our community. Do a work in us, we pray. Exactly what we need, you know we need. That purifying, cleansing work that when Jesus, when uh, Peter shared in Acts chapter 15, even though incredible things had happened on the day of Pentecost, it was about the purifying work that your Holy Spirit did in the lives of those people gathered in this place. Do that work in us. You have called us, Father, to be holy as you are holy. The Word says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Oh God, purify us so that we are a holy people. And thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you that you're so willing to do that work in us. And as you do that work, then may we, like the disciples, those gathered in that room so long ago, go out in the power and presence and purification that the Holy, only the Holy Spirit does in our lives to make a difference in the world where we live. And we pray all of these things today. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Well, thank you, church. We trust God to do that work in us. And may you go today in the power of His presence and His grace and peace. You're dismissed. Um, We'll take just a, a short break.